You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, let me invite you to turn with me back to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, and we are going to pick up Um, our series in Ephesians back where we left off and so hopefully you have a copy of God's word and if not there are some in the back of the pews there for you uh, that you are welcome to use. Ephesians is in the New Testament and we are in the final chapter of Ephesians. While you're making your way there I want to just encourage you some. Um, I am again encouraged about Operation Christmas Child and the fact that that almost uh, half or maybe even half, it's hard to count because we had so many back there, but uh, about half of those boxes have gone home um, with people. I saw some even going out this morning in droves. Not sure uh, where those are headed, but uh, certainly to be packed up. I'm excited about that. Uh, as you know, we are the drop-off location for Walton County. Or, well, not for all of Walton County, but for Defuniac Springs. Um, and so I'm excited to see those boxes starting to come in. If you've already uh, got your, ba- your box packed up, you can feel free to bring that uh, back to church and, uh, and stuff it full uh, of all the other things that are needed in it. We're going to stack those up on this platform, and uh, I would love to see by drop-off week an entire wall of shoeboxes back here behind me uh, and prepared to pack up and send off to other countries with uh, children who are in need. Uh, we won't stack a huge wall because I found out the hard way that that wall topples. Uh, tried three times to build a wall, and, and so anyway, uh, but I'm excited about that. I'm also excited about uh, Connect Groups and how that's going. I don't know if you realized last week, uh, if, by the way, <clears throat> if you didn't get a chance to come to Connect Groups last week, um, on Sunday evening, you missed, you missed just a real blessing. Um, I, I heard so many positive comments from folks about uh, what they just really believe God is going to do through this part of our vision, uh, connecting with one another. And uh, I don't know if you realize this, but last uh, Sunday night, we had almost as many on Sunday evening as we had in, on Sunday morning. We had about 60 people here on Sunday night participating in Connect Groups. Um, and so I'm excited about that. Uh, just, a, just a real privilege. You do not want to miss that blessing. I think Robert's group is uh, serving this week with children. No, seniors are serving this week, our senior adult group. And they're going to need some help. So uh, anyway, all hands on deck. Y'all come and, and uh, help, uh, help out on that. We're going to send some teenagers in. We're going we're gonna to love on them a little bit. But uh, anyway, so but come tonight. You won't want to miss it. Five o'clock. We eat together. It's potluck every week. And uh, it's just an exciting time for us to uh, dive into God's word together and enjoy biblical community among one another. Well, Ephesians 6 is another place in Scripture that gives us the gospel on the ground. And we have been walking through some practical things. Uh, we've looked at marriage. We've looked at parenting. We've looked at the church and how we have, we respond in our, in our lives together with one another. 
But we're back to this passage with one of the hardest places for you to live out the gospel. I want you to hear that again. This will be one of the hardest areas for you to live out the gospel, for you to know what it even looks like to do so. But then beyond that, for you to deal with all that comes along with doing it. And that's on the job, the gospel in Christian work. It's hard because you go to a area of your life every day where the gospel is not prevalent. Where people, by and large, for most of you who are not in Christian work environments, most of you, you go to a place of very extreme pressure. Uh, constantly, every day, demands are put on you to do things and to achieve things that stretch you to your limits. And so the stress of that environment, along with the culture that you work in. Many of you in non-Christian work environments are faced with temptations every day, pressures of, of cultural things, and you have to try to figure out how do I live out the gospel when there's temptation all around me. And so those very ungodly work environments can be one of the toughest places to live out the gospel. The question is, how do we honor Christ in that? And I've had that very question. How do I live for Jesus when I've got this kind of a life pastor every day? Yeah, it's easy to live for Jesus in the church, but what about out in the world? How do you honor Christ? How do you deal with being a Christian in maybe one of the least desirable portions of your life? where You have to put up with all of these things. Does the Bible even instruct us in this contemporary issue of work environments? Maybe to be more specific, is there anything that the gospel itself compels us to do and to be when it comes to our workplaces? And I want you to know this morning that this does not come out of a test tube. It comes straight out of God's word and it comes out of having been able to experience life in the workforce over the last few months Uh, The Lord led us for me to take a job on the weekends that uh, we're able to pay off some debt and uh, and do some projects that we've been trying to do. And yet, not only that, we are we're trying to honor God with our finances, but also a, a way for me to be among lost people. So I get to be in that work environment every day, just like you. This is not something that is just spoken in theory. And so I'm excited to share some of those things with you this morning. The gospel in Christian work. What do we do? If you found your place, let me invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. Ephesians chapter six, we'll begin together now at verse 59. If you read the bulletin, there is no verse 59. It's five through nine. So verse five, we'll begin together. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling With a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him.
Father, I pray this morning that as we again look to the pages of Your Word for encouragement and instruction, as we look for, once again, another picture of the Gospel, I pray that, God, the lost in this room would be called to salvation in Christ and in Christ alone. I pray that the saved in this room would be reminded of how and by whom we have been saved. And may we be compelled to live out the instruction of Your Word, the Gospel in our lives every day, which includes our workplace. Lord, even as we read this passage, I am reminded and burdened about the distance of the ancient culture from the day in which we live. There is a unique danger in this passage this morning for us to misinterpret what we are reading and miss the whole point. And so I pray that by Your Spirit You would give us clarity, that You would apply what we read to our hearts and to our lives so that it is unmistakable what You are calling us to do as Christians. And I pray that in all of this, You would be glorified and honored in this place and in these lives. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I want to give you the main truth right up front because this is a passage that is perhaps unclear and maybe distant for us as we think about it in our modern context. So let me give you this truth right up front that we're going to see unfold throughout this passage and then we're going to have to do some legwork in order to see it with clarity. So here's the truth right up front. You want to write this down. The Gospel calls bondservants of Jesus to be fully devoted to those whom they serve in their work. Say that again to you. You're writing it down. Let me say it again for your hearing. The Gospel calls bondservants of Jesus to be fully devoted to those whom they serve in their work. So you have your Bible in front of you and you won't get past the the very first word before this lack of clarity or this distance begins to grow in the word bond servants. Some of your translations might have the word slave. It is in the Greek the word doulos. And it is a word that means slave or servant, one who is bound to a master. So often in our culture, this passage has been used, misused, twisted to uh, uh, to support that we should have slavery in our day. This is not at all what the passage is supporting. In fact, the Apostle Paul actually takes a neutral position when it comes to the idea or the concept of slavery altogether. And the dangerous tendency for us is to come to this passage and read it with our modern minds thinking even in our in our recent history of slavery in our day here in America. And to say, well, this is where the Bible would teach us that slavery is okay. Well, this is a different form of slavery than you and I would think about in our culture. The tendency for us is to either A, with that mindset, is to either A, look at it and, and to get very pious and prideful and to try to use this as a, as a platform, or to look at this passage and to become very offended 
And to say, well, the Bible is a bad book. How could God be a loving God if God condones slavery? It's not at all what you might think that it is. You see, you can't come to the Bible with a modern mind. You have to first come to the Bible with an ancient mind. Do the background and the legwork. What does it mean to be a doulos in the New Testament? Well, we need to answer that question. In Roman culture, a bondservant was one who could either be voluntary or one who was serving. But in either case, it was a servant of another person in the day. Usually it referred to someone who served in a permanent role as servant. According to Roman law, a bondservant was considered the owner's personal property. That is similar to what we understand as slavery. Slaves essentially in Roman in the Roman culture, Roman uh, uh, government under Roman law had no rights. They were bound to their master. They could even be killed without the master getting in trouble. So in some ways, Roman law was similar to the law that we've experienced. And so Paul is making this reference. But don't forget that Paul was not only a Roman citizen. He was also a Hebrew. And he was the kind of person that would understand what the servant, the doulos, looked like in Hebrew law. The way that he had lived and the way that he described. Remember, he used this word bondservant not only to describe his own life, but to describe the lives of followers of of Jesus. So where was he getting this concept? What I want you to do is hold your place here in Ephesians chapter 6 and turn with me back to Exodus chapter 21. We need to get this picture. Lest we think that Paul is describing some hateful experience across the board, right? Some form of mistreatment. Then we need to see this picture from Hebrew culture and what Paul would have understood when he described the word or described the idea of bondservant or doulos. Exodus chapter 21 and look with me at verse 1. The Bible says, now these are the rules you shall set before them. Verse 2, when you buy a Hebrew slave, it's a slave that's paid for, you should... He shall serve six years, six years, and in the seventh, he shall go out free for nothing. So what's happening here is this person, this slave owner is buying a Hebrew slave. He serves for this slave owner for six years, and on the seventh year, he is able to completely go free. There are no strings attached Then everything is up to the slave in order to decide what he's going to do with his life. Verse three, if he comes in single, he shall go out single. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master gives him a uh, gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall bear her masters and even uh, and he shall go out alone. But if the slave says, says plainly, I love my master, my wife and my children, 
I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to God and he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost. Now, here's watch this. Here's what's interesting. You remember the story of Jacob working for his wives and he served for seven years and he earned what he was due his wife and he could have gone out, but he was given not the one that he asked for. And so he worked another seven years. That whole story is built on this principle. It is it is not a principle of oppressive kind of bondage. It's actually a a type of employment where they would work to earn a living. And then after seven years, they could go free. But there was an interesting provision in the law where the slave could actually stay with the master if he so chose. Verse five says, I love my master, my wife and my children. I will not go out free. Then his wife shall bring him to God or then his master rather shall bring him to God and he shall bring him to the door of the doorpost and his master shall bore his ear through with an owl and he shall be a slave, his slave rather forever. Somebody joked in our men's meeting uh, recently, uh, Brother Lewis Miller was there and was bringing this passage to us, teaching us as men how to serve And somebody joked in the uh, men's meeting, one of our kids, because I don't think any of the older guys knew anything about this, but it's like the slave got gauges that day. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Anybody? Some of you? Wow. I am. Wow. Youth, y'all know what I'm talking about? Gauges in this ear? All right, cool. So, yeah, he knows what I'm talking about. So they would pierce the ear of the slave, and he would be the slave to that master forever, but it was by his choice his choosing his master when he could have chosen something else, that he did this. And so this is the concept of what it means to be a bond servant. He was bound to his master. And in being bound to his master, it was a choice. That choice came because he loved his master. And as Brother Lewis so aptly put it, it's because he saw his life as better with his master than it could be with anyone else or in any other place. He chose to stay with his master, renouncing all other masters. And so therefore, he became a bondservant. In the first sense, his rights were taken from him because he was sold to his master. In this place, his rights are freely given up because he wants to be with his master. When he chooses this master and becomes a a bondservant, he's marked by his master. So he has he bears a symbol that that master now owns him and that master now clearly provides for him and he would be a slave forever and be permanent He's bonded. He could never again be bought or sold. He was forever belonging to the master. That's the picture. And so Paul, coming into the New Testament, Paul uses this same description in Ephesians 6. If you're there, hopefully you've still got your finger there. Go back there with me. Paul says that we are now bond servants. Look at verse 5 in chapter 6. As you would with Christ, he uses that phrase. In verse 6, he says, as bondservants of Christ, he uses the same word, doulos. You are now that kind of servant to Christ. Paul, Timothy, James, Peter, and Jude, in all of their letters, all of these men 
all call themselves bondservants of Jesus. You see, we as believers should understand that that our lives now in Christ are outside of every other master that we've ever served. Our lives in Jesus, though we could have chosen something different, we chose Christ and we have become bondservants of Jesus. We've made a choice to follow Jesus even when we could have had any other life. Because we see the life with Jesus as far better than any other life we could ever have. Amen? We see our lives as renouncing every other master that we once served. Our rights are not taken from us by Jesus. We now abandon our rights. We give up our rights because we're following in the way of the cross. We've denied ourselves and we're taking up our cross and we're following Jesus. Our lives belong to Him. We are marked. We bear the name of Christ. We carry the banner of Christ. He is our life. We are forgiven by His very blood. And we are clearly doulos, slaves to Christ. And we are marked forever. We are a slave Forever to Christ. It is permanent. We are bonded. We could never be bought or sold. We belong to Jesus. That's good news this morning. And because we belong to Jesus. The follow up is that we live as bondservants to Jesus. We live as faithful bondservants to our earthly masters. It is the gospel, remember, high and lofty truths, now in our servant-slave-master relationship. Now bondservants of our earthly master. The gospel in that relationship effectively He draws a complete parallel between our relationship with our heavenly master, Jesus, and our relationship with our earthly master, whoever that is. And the master is also master to Jesus as well. Or or rather, the, the, the master is also mastered by Jesus as well. He serves Jesus. That's what the text tells us. And so the gospel now controls for the Christian the kind of doulos that we are and the kind of master that we are, the kind of service that we render. Now, we don't have a picture of this in our culture today, in our country, at least in the immediate area in which we serve. And this is not the Bible's endorsement of slavery, by the way. This is a very close parallel to the picture of Christian employment. Isn't it the master providing for the slave, for the one who is given to themselves uh, over to the slave owner, given up rights and serving this master in order that their their needs might be met? This is a very clear picture of employment in the day, not a perfect parallel, but certainly when we become employees, we give up our rights as a employee of that of that uh, of that of that company, we we serve at the interest of that company. We make a choice. 
We're not a slave forever to that company. We can move to a different job, but by and large, we depend upon them for our livelihood. And so let me bring this truth back to bear for you. The gospel calls bondservants of Jesus. I've already identified that's who we are. Bondservants of Jesus to be fully devoted to those whom they serve in their work. Oh, it makes sense. What Paul is calling us to, what God would have us to hear is that as an employee to a company or to an employer, you are responsible to be fully devoted under Christ, fully devoted to that employer in all of your work. This is a really important thing in our culture, especially in our rights driven culture. I use the title the gospel in Christian work because it's not necessarily true that you're going to have Christian employment. How many of you know that to be the truth? You serve and work in environments where it is less than Christian. Harsh masters, maybe hard bosses. Anybody ever had? Don't raise your hand right now. Anybody ever had a hard boss? Yeah, you serve with hard bosses and you have to try to figure out how to serve well in that environment. Some of you, it's just a harsh work environment. Like you've got to face ungodly things every day. Some of you are retired and you retired from that environment. Some of you served in places like the military or in, in I think about our correctional officers and I think about some of our, our, our people that serve in, in places where it's just really, really rough. And some of you might be tempted to say, well, it's this, this job I'm in, pastor, it's just too hard to live the Christian life. And I would I would want to be sympathetic to your complaint and to your frustration. And it is hard. And probably six months ago, I I would have been less understanding when it came to your position. But over the course of the last three to four months, Amber's not in the room. I don't know how long it's been, maybe three to four months. It's it's been uh, it's been a challenge for me. Because I went to work with a company that does uh, audiovisual uh, entertainment solutions on the south end of our county. And those, um, that kind of job puts you in the world uh, with people who live very much an ungodly lifestyle. And some things uh, that I didn't even realize my own life or my own mind, my own eyes were sheltered. <laughs> I had no idea what I missing and and in some ways i i wish i still did have an idea of what i was missing both the people that we work for and serve and the people that we work with language uh, sexual kinds of things lots of things like that constant constant talk about things that are that are far less than godly than you can have imagined then you could imagine many of those things. I can't even say to you this morning, most of the things, honestly, I can't even say to you this morning. Along with that, having to come home, because this is Fridays and Saturdays for me, having to come home on Saturday nights and purge and detox. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Having to purge and detox before I get to church, just so that my mind's not still trying to get all this stuff out of my head that I've been hearing all weekend. It's hard To live the Christian life in the workplace. But it is not impossible. And I want you to know this morning that if you if you 
decide to live the Christian life, and you should, if you're a follower of Jesus, to live out the gospel in your workplace, it is entirely possible that living that life could turn up some incredible things in the lives of your co-workers and in the lives of those that you serve every single day for the sake of Jesus. You could change their lives just simply by being the vessel that God would use to work through you in their lives. It's an amazing thing, and I want to share that with you in some stories as we move through this morning. But I I don't want my life to be the authority. God's Word is the authority. Amen? So let's hear what God has to say about our workplace. There are at least five truths in this passage that you should understand about being a Christian in your workplace and living out the gospel. Number one, Christians should submit to the authority of our earthly master. Submit to the authority of your earthly master. Notice in verse 5 that there is a very explicit statement. If you understand bondservant, In the context of the workplace, it becomes very clear what Paul is after. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. You could, you could say, employee, worker, Christian in the workplace, obey your employer with fear and trembling. The word master is used. And it's interesting what the word master is. The word slave being doulos. The word master being kurios. Which is the same word for Lord in the New Testament. And I think what's happening is there is a play on these terms. Because what Paul goes on to describe is that we should obey our master. Verse 5 As you would Christ. And he says, he gives the parallel in verse 6, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God. When you respond to your earthly master in obedience, you are obeying Christ directly. And when you respond to your earthly master, your employer in disobedience, barring that it doesn't violate Scripture, then you are directly disobeying God. The authority of your employer is not one that he takes up on his own. The the authority of your employer over your life is the authority of God in your life through your employer. He, she has been appointed that you might follow their authority. It's similar, isn't it? We've seen it over and over again whenever we saw with with the church that we're to submit to one another. It's a picture of submission. When we get into the marriage relationship, wives, submit to your husbands. We saw that in Ephesians 5. We see in Ephesians 6 that we're to submit our lives as children to our parents. And then he gets here to the employer and it's another picture of submission. Submit to your employer. It's authority structures in our life. This is not the only place where authority structures are recognized or encouraged in the New Testament. It's also in the church. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17 tells us to obey your leaders. It's describing elders in the church. 
those that are pastors or bishop, all the same word, by the way, or the same uh, office, by the way, three different words for the same office. He says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. It is a blessing in the life of the church to have pastors, and it is incumbent upon churches in as much as the pastor is following the word of God to follow the pastor. Authority structure within the church. The same is true in the government. Civil authority. Romans chapter 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. These are God-given authority, authority structures in our life. And we're to follow. We're to follow them. This is super important in our day in America because we live in a rights-driven country where we believe in individual rights and we, we want to stand up for ourselves and all of those things and make our voice be heard. But it's interesting that we understand our lives that way because we import that into the Christian life. Listen to me very carefully. The Christian life is not a life of protest. The Christian life is a life of denying yourself and taking up your cross and following Jesus and thereby submitting to the authority structures that God has given in our lives. And one of those is our employer. We must submit our life to our employer. Protests, rebellions, rise-ups, none of those things are the kinds of ways that Christian employees live. Even the strikes that we see in our day. I mean, there's so many examples, aren't there? It's not what we're called to do. Peaceful submission and using our voice to make much of what the Word of God teaches. Second, not only are we to submit our lives to the authority of our earthly master, we are to be sincere in our heart toward our earthly master. Sincere in our hearts. So much here. Verses five and six, five and six says, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. This is how we're to obey. That's what he says. Obey them with a sincere heart, not begrudgingly, not in a half-hearted sense, not in a way he thinks or she thinks that you're obeying them, but rather with a sincere heart. And then he goes on to describe, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. So clearly, we're not resenting our master. We ought to receive what they're giving to us humbly. So no resentment in our actions. But Paul adds this sincerity from the heart to, to give us a picture of not, not just putting on an outward show. That's what he's getting at when he uses the illustration of people pleasers. We don't have time to turn there this morning, but a great passage that kind of explains that for us is Galatians 1 and verse 10. Galatians 1 and verse 10, he says, for I am now seeking, uh, for I am now seeking the approval of man or of God. It's a question. Or am I trying to please man? And he says, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul made a big deal about making sure his life was to please God in the workplace. 
that plays out with people putting on this outward show of trying to please man while really on the inside, though they're gaining outward accolades, they are not on the inside who they really appear to be on the outside. It's a lack of sincerity. Sometimes we understand things best through illustration. It's dealing with motives. So maybe you are or you have that kind of person in your workplace that's just simply a kiss up. Always looking for, uh, for promotions. There's all kind of other words that we could use to describe them. They're always working not the job that they have, but they're working the job that they want in order that they might gain it. But the job that they have goes by the wayside. Proverbs 12 tells us, Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. We've got to be careful Or what about that one who's the lazy worker? Always pawning off the job on someone else. They they claim that this is supervision, but at the end of the day, they're really just leaning on a shovel all of their days. Taking the easy way out. Constantly complaining that the work is too hard. Always making excuses. And here's a big one. Always late to work. Sad reality is that Christians in our day oftentimes make up this culture. Some of the worst work ethic in our workplaces is among Christians. Sad. Proverbs also tells us in chapter 13 that the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Or what about the person who is cheating, always looking for more than what they earned? You could go on and on. There's always someone in the workplace that represents a lack of sincerity, but it should not be you, Christian. It should not be you. I think about the verse Colossians 3 and verse 23. Whatever you do, work heartily or work hard as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as you as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So work sincerely, serve be sincere in heart toward your earthly master. Third, third, serve the good of your earthly master. Again, we could spend quite an amount of time here, but verse 7 and 8. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does is describing good being done. <clears throat> Service with a good will. So you're doing good with good intentions. He says, as to the Lord, not to the Lord, which means he's describing doing good with good intentions toward your master. Serving in a way that would be for your master's good. What kind of good can you do for your employer? Doing good with a good will toward him, toward her. The goal of our lives as followers of Jesus is that we would live for the cause of Christ, right? Isn't that the goal? We know Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now I live my life in the flesh for Christ. That's the paraphrase, but that's the passage. Christ died for us so that those who no longer, uh, those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Christ. That's the passage, 2 Corinthians 5. And so just as we live for Jesus and for His cause, a Christian worker now lives for the cause of their Master. You don't live for your own name. You live for your Master's name in the name of Jesus. 
So serve for his good. One of the statements I made to my employer recently when he thanked me for a job was, man, it's just, it's just part of the job. I said, I, listen, I, you need to understand, I don't, I'm not here to earn or gain anything. I'm here so that you look good. That's my goal, is to help you look good as, as a company. I said this to him. I serve oftentimes in, uh, in, in difficult environments, but there's not going to be any complaints. With difficult people, even yesterday, and there's not going to be any complaints by God's grace, because I, I want, at the end of the day, I want the company that I'm working for to be successful. I want to serve for His good. Some of you work in thankless jobs. How many of you say, I've never been thanked for what I do, ever? Just kind of serve in thankless jobs. That's a hard place to be. Some of you have hateful bosses. Some of you have difficult or undesirable work. Some of you earn a meager wage. And what Paul is saying here is you are a bondservant. And what's interesting is you are, whether you are a bondservant or free, in other words, no matter the conditions, your reward is in heaven. And so you continue to work, love and pray for your Employer, go the extra mile. Don't tear them down. Help them earn a good reputation. And that's the call. That's the call on your life. Some of you are working for yourself and you guys just thought about this. Some of you are working for yourself and you're going, how do I do that? Well, you work for your employees. I mean, for your, for your clients and you serve them in the same way. Some of you are retired and you go, well, how do I do this? Well, you help others do the same thing. Some of you have old old time companies. Gail, I think about your company where you just kind of help out and, and do and serve and you want to try to make that company all that can be. Not because it bolsters your name, but because it, it bolsters the, the company's success and honors Christ. Here's the last one. Last one is that we are to be satisfied. Or rather, this isn't the last one quite. We're two, two away. Here we go. Be satisfied with the reward of your heavenly master. Be satisfied with the reward of your heavenly master. Quickly, verse 8. This he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. Wrote down James 1.12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Again, some of you are in these difficult positions, but your 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 motivation for working is not to work for the paycheck. It's not to work for the perks. It's not to work for the promotion. It's to work because you've already received the promise. It's the promise that God has offered to us. Be satisfied in Christ such that if the promotion never comes and the perks are not there and the paycheck is late, then you continue to work hard for the cause of Christ because His glory reigns supreme. And to be satisfied in Him. My job, again, I, I shared with you, there's some difficult days where the people that I work with are difficult to work for or to serve, and yet I go on serving. And God has blessed me with some opportunities uh, to share the Gospel. I want to just share some of these things with you and just try to leave out names but I, I really I want you to see I want you to see what God does. A few uh, weeks ago, we were on our way to the job site um, on a Friday morning, Saturday morning. I don't remember which that it was. We stopped at the gas station. I had a missed call uh, from someone who was in need of help, and so the the guy that I was with went into the gas station to grab a few things, and 
And so I, I decided to take that opportunity when we had some downtime to make that call. And, and it was someone who'd call me. They, they were in crisis in their lives and they were asking some questions about the particular crisis in their lives. Um, and, and before I could get off the phone, the guy I was with got back in the car. And uh, it's interesting because I, I don't police these guys' language. I don't police their behavior. I, I just kind of, they know who I am. They know what I do, every single one of them. And I just kind of serve and, and, and work hard and, and try to do my best. And, and so I, I'm in the, in, in the van and the conversation goes on and we go down the road and, and I'm continuing this kind of counseling environment or this counseling conversation that I'm having. I get off the phone and, and the guy I'm working with 21-year-old guy looks at me and says, man, that's so cool. I said, what are, you, what are you talking about? He said, man, I wish I had somebody in my life two years ago to say the things that you said to them two years ago. Because if, you, if you'd said those things in my life two years ago, my life would have been different. And so we went on to talk about what I, what I do. And I said, man, I, I want you to know your life can be different. And it's the relationship with Jesus Christ. I wish I could tell you that he responded to Jesus that day. But here's what did happen. He began to catch his words. The language began to clean up because there was a respect. Watch this. Not only for me, but for the God that I serve. I could tell you a story about Saturday morning. I received a phone call from the guy that I'm working for, my boss there uh, in this job. And I, and I uh, he was sharing some things with me, asking me some questions about some stuff that we had done. And he said to me, um, it said something about Facebook and, and he said, man, I wish I'd never been on Facebook. I said, oh, yeah, what do you mean? That opened the door for a two hour conversation about philosophy and life and his family and crises that he's been through. And, and I just began to share with him. We, we also had a, an opportunity for a conversation. We were working on a rack at a house and, and you know, he, he was on Facebook and, and he saw this bantering back and forth between a Christian and some non-Christians. And, and can I just say to you, don't do that. Don't do that. You bring dis- disrepute to the name of Jesus. You engage them with the gospel and with truth and love them, but don't berate them. And I had to clean up. But I had the opportunity. Why? Because he trusted me and he knew me and he knew I loved Jesus and he knew where to come if he had a question about what he was facing. Listen, I don't know who you work with and who you work for, but here's what I do know. Your life can make a difference in their life if you will do this. And beyond that, you are bringing honor to the name of Jesus when you obey him by obeying your earthly master. I want you to know this morning that this master also sets one more picture. And this is where we're going to close. You guys have been patient. I want you to hear this. There is a master at the end of the passage that we should be aware of. And that's the Christian master. Because some of you serve and supervise. And there's a word for you in this passage. And it is this. Supervise with the character of your heavenly master. He says masters do the same. So all the things that employees should be doing. You should be doing. Serve in the same way. But he also adds to it to stop threatening them. And he gives this partial judgment. This picture of no partiality rather in judgment. Because the master in heaven. You have a confession. A recognition that God is sovereign over you. That you're not the main master. That there's a greater master over your life. 
But along with that, that he judges your life impartially. And so therefore you should judge your employees impartially. You should rule justly, supervise justly. Don't play the the marketing game. Don't play the one up game. Don't play any of these games in the workplace. You rule well. We could we could look to all of these different CEOs of uh, of Hobby Lobby and Chick-fil-A and all these different ones. And all of them are loved and respected. Why? Because they love their employees and they supervise well and without partiality. I've got a dad. I've got a, a uh, my dad has a boss. I've got a dad. Of course I've got a dad. My dad's boss is one of those guys who, in the workplace, he's a very, very hard man to work with. And my dad would tell you this story, um, leave his name out of it, but he happens to, the boss happens to attend the biggest Pentecostal church in Pensacola. And in church on Sunday mornings, he's a knight in shining armor and an angel, angel's wings and halo. When he gets to the office, he's one of the hardest mans to be around. Don't be that man. Don't be that supervisor. Be the one who honors Christ because you need to understand this morning, whether you're an employee or a boss, that God has dealt with you incredibly graciously. He is so merciful. That's what Paul ends on. You have a, you have a master in heaven that is dealt with you impartially know what kind of employee you are what kind of employer you are that you will answer for that and you will answer for that before the god of heaven who has dealt impartially with you and who has loved you unconditionally in christ who's given the life of his only son for you and were it not for christ he would judge you for all of eternity condemnation guilty Condemned to die forever. But the one who is in heaven has given the life of his son for you. How much more should we live for him? Maybe this will put it in perspective and this is where we'll close. Philippians chapter 2, you know it well. Paul calls us to have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who though he was in the form of God, listen to this carefully. Did not count equality with God. This is describing Jesus. A thing to be grasped. But emptied himself. And you should note this. By taking the form of a doulos. Being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient To the point of death, even death on a cross. See, Jesus has done this for us in the gospel. And he's calling us to live as doulos for our kurios, our master. Would you do that to honor him? With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. That's our invitation. Maybe you're here in this place and you don't know Christ. You don't know Him as Lord. He's not your Master. And apart from you submitting to Christ this morning as Master of your life, there is no salvation. And there is no hope of heaven. The good news of the Gospel this morning is that He did become your servant. He did become a bondservant and died on the cross for you so that you could live today if you would trust Him with your life by faith. 
Surrender to Jesus with all that you are. Others of you in this room, you'd say to me this morning, I've not been being the best employee. And I know that. And I thought, maybe you thought up until this point that it wasn't that big of a deal. Or maybe you were in the position you just never thought about it at all. Or maybe you've been being convicted about it and you just know that this is something God wants you to do. In any case, you need to follow the Scripture this morning and obey the Lord through His Word. Maybe you're an employer this morning. You've been mistreating your employees. Or maybe it's just been a really hard time at work and you want to come pray for your company and for your boss and for your coworkers. And I want to encourage you to do that. Ask Him to make you a witness for Christ there in that place. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to stand with me. We're going to have a time of invitation. I'm going to pray. This altar is open. You begin to come this morning. Lord, have your way in this place and in our hearts. And we ask that you would help us to obey you with our lives. Because you are our master. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You come this morning as the music begins to play. And the altar is open. God, thank you for this time together of worship this morning. It's been an encouragement to my heart, God, just in the singing and, and being, uh, God, just, just encouraged and stirred by believers around us. God, thank you for this faith family. I thank you for your word that brings conviction and teaches us how to live, not only in the church, but God, in our lives every day. And, and God, I thank you for your invitation for us to respond in obedience to what you've called us to this morning and being both a, a servant of our employer and an employer who serves our employees. And so, Lord, the invitation has been given, but the real work begins for some this afternoon, for some tomorrow morning, others at various times throughout the week. And so I pray, God, for strength. I pray that your spirit would go before us would dwell among us, God, that, that He would be our teacher, our convictor. God, would You continue to transform us? And God, on that moment and those moments when we are prompted by Your Spirit this week at work, I pray that we would respond in obedience to Christ and that You would receive the glory and that lives would be impacted as a result. And that You would be honored 
And we ask that as our prayer this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Five o'clock tonight, Connect Groups. You are dismissed. We'll see you tonight. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.